0: The Son of God goes forth to war, a kingly crown to gain. His blood-red banner streams afar, who follows in his train, who best can drink
1: his cup. Welcome to Death and Glory Podcast, live from Studio K. Death and Glory Podcast exists to remind Christians to love our King die with honor, and live with hope imperishable because Christ has been raised from the dead. I'm Peter Rasmussen, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Jordan Parks. We're also very excited to have with us uh, as a guest, Pastor Michael Foster. Before we get started, we want to remind you to check out Puritan.pub. This is a digital safe haven for Christians seeking a social media alternative to big tech. It was developed by a dear brother, Shafawala and is a great way to connect with other believers. Open your browser and go to Puritan.pub/terms for more information.
2: Michael Foster is a pastor of East River Church in Batavia, Ohio, where he lives with his wife Emily, and their' seven children. Michael is the host of Podcast It's Good to Be a Man," which has been running since 2019. He has co-authored a book with non-tenant titled "It's Good to Be a Man: A Handbook for Godly Masculinity." He is also the founder of the annual conference, County Before Country, which focuses on equipping Christians to focus on building God's kingdom where they are in their hometown. Michael, welcome to the show, brother.
3: Yeah, thank you for having me.
2: We wanted to speak with you today on the topic of the death of a child. And as we mentioned off air, you mentioned off air, that um, this is something that's been kind of weighing on you something that you and your wife have experienced recently, and we wanted you to kind of share some experiences with that and also just kind of provide us uh, some tools and some wisdom to be able to counsel, to be able to love our brothers in Christ who are going through something similar. So right off the bat, um, Michael, I know this is a difficult topic, Um, But can you provide us kind of with some context and details uh, what you and Emily went through?
4: Well, it's been a little bit. Actually, it wasn't that recent in the scheme of things. But uh, yeah, back in about 10 years ago, we were pregnant. So we have had three boys. So this is kind of background. Uh, We had uh, three boys, Hudson, Athanasius, and Cademan. We had them real quick. Uh, So all three in about five years. And I uh, really was debating about having more kids or at least taking a break. Uh, They just happen so much. And as a man, you feel the obligation to provide and take care of. We wanted Emily to be able to stay at home and kind of got stuck in that whole contraceptive debate, whether it's okay or or whatever. And I was looking for every way to justify it. And I, at the time I ended up kind of landing, like, no, God opens and closes the womb. You can't do anything to stop it or whatever. Trust the Lord, you know? And uh, so then we, um, we get pregnant and it's finally a girl. And we never thought we we're going to have a girl because of my 17 cousins, there's like four girls and 13 boys. So it's just, so oh, wow. Hard. yeah, foster swimmers are masculine swimmers. Um, so <laughs> we, uh, so we were blown away. We never thought that was going to happen. So we named her Nicaea Leanne, Nicaea after the the place of the council of Nicaea and the Nicene creed. And Leanne, after my, my grandmother, that played a pretty major role in, in raising me for a portion of my life. Um, we did our first three kids as home births. And we had a midwife, uh, Gay Venegas, and she was coming over to do a standard checkup right before uh, we we were like right at the due date. It was like the due date. And she came over. We we're getting ready to head over to um to the Monroe County Fair. I was living in Bloomington, Indiana at that time. And the Doppler wasn't, you know, picking up anything. Usually you hear that, you know, sound, Um, and there was nothing. And um, it was one of those things where like, everything's normal rushing around trying to get the kids dressed because I got to be at work at four so we've got like a couple hours to sneak over to the fair and ride rides and and then my wife's on the couch with uh, our uh our midwife and there's nothing there now um in retrospect I can read gay's eyes and say she she, she knew but um we thought perhaps the doppler was broken but Emily is like super concerned so everything kind of stops and uh To jump in the van, throw the kids in the van, drive over to the pediatrician where they have a uh, better equipment other than just a little Doppler, like handheld Doppler. So when we get there, the baby is in fact dead. Um, I see, it died, Uh, which is crazy because the night before, I can I can clearly remember, you know, feeling her kick me. You know, Mm. you sleep with a pregnant wife, you can sometimes see the hands push out of their belly. It's like super weird. Um, but I can remember her kicking me. So sometime in the evening she died. Um, her heart just stopped. So, um, this is a shock to us because I used to always joke about my wife's like womb of iron or something. We just uh, look at it the wrong way. She'd get pregnant. And, uh, and we had had pretty good pregnancies. Um, and except for a little bump with our firstborn son, uh, really good labors as well. So, uh, So yeah, it was, it was overwhelming. It was a shocking, you know, it was a punch to the gut. And uh, so I, I went outside cried for a moment and then kind of got myself together because now we've got a lot of really hard decisions to make and life has just like changed uh, immediately. So we hand the kids off. To our good friends uh, back in the Chastains, and they take the boys and Emily and I. Uh, you basically have to choose at the point whether to carry the baby to so the baby comes out of your body or to go ahead and um, you know induce. Right? I thought the idea of carrying a dead body inside your body is it's, a, it's a horrific, right? It's very uh-huh. horrific. Like even a baby being inside of a dead woman uh, or a woman having a dead baby inside of her, those ideas, uh, they're so counter natural, right? Very upsetting. So we decided what would be best would be to uh, go ahead and induce. And so we go, we schedule that. Uh, Then I can remember outside being, I always think of the clouds when they're kind of perfectly broken up and round, that they look like Buffalo on uh, like the Great Plains. Like so you guys are out in the Kansas City or You get out there, you know, towards Goodland, Kansas, past the line whatever off 70 highway. It's just yep. flat, right? And then you can see the clouds and they're just perfect. And the sky was blue, no rain, sunshine, and clouds kind of just decking the sky. It was like a beautiful day, completely at odds with what's going on. When When, when something like that happens, you want it to be sad. You want it to rain, you want there to be thunder, you want it to be gray skies. Um, it just felt so so wrong. Um, so uh, so then uh we our pastors come over, pray for us, read a psalm with us, and then we uh prepare, have the the appointment for the later that day to induce. We uh we're going up to the pediatrics. Uh so M's very pregnant, very pregnant looking, right? Because she she is pregnant. And, uh, as we're getting ready to go on the, uh, elevator to go up to the, to labor delivery, the, uh, the person says, congratulations,
3: mm-hmm. right?
4: Cause she thinks we're going up to have a baby. So we go up there and, uh, so she takes, uh, Pitocin and it, it starts moving things ahead. And
3: there's nurses
4: in there and, uh, that were, uh, they were pretty good. They are a little weird. But so eventually, the uh, Nicaea comes out, and uh, I had a, like, a gasp. Uh, because there's this little baby that's perfect, like nothing. She was white, white as paper and covered in blood. Hmm. We realize now there probably was a placenta abruption, probably. Um, it's really hard to say. This almost happened again with my youngest son and Emily almost blood to death with our sixth kid. And uh, well, it's technically our seventh, if you, if you're counting, I see him. And, and so it it seems like that was kind of the same thing happening again, but we caught it in time. But um, so here's this baby that looks just like my wife, right? You see it, see it in her face, but covered in blood, perfect in every way, but dead. And she was alive 24 hours ago, not anymore though. And you don't know why. I remember when the nurses asked me if I was okay. And uh, I just thought, are you an idiot? No. Right. And uh, so then Emily, they wrapped up the baby and Emily held her. And I really struggled with the idea of holding her. I just like, it was so much. Right. And uh, so I can remember Emily holding her and me looking outside the window at this guy smoking a cigarette by his car, by his truck. And just thinking, like, what's going on at the hospital, right? Like, is someone having a heart surgery that he cares about?
3: Hmm. Does he
4: have someone dying here? Is he out there in his truck thinking all the thoughts I'm thinking? He doesn't know I'm watching him from the fourth floor, thinking, like, this is bizarre and real. I remember before we had the baby, we were watching um, this show where people buy things on Craigslist and flip it, and they try to make more money. It's very, you know, surreal in a sense like these moments you have and movies are very dramatic right um but it's the uh, the mundaneness around it makes it even kind of more intense and and horrific Um, yeah because everything's normal except for this totally not normal thing that's going on so then um she's born and um we have to decide if we're going to do an autopsy or not if we do an autopsy it's going to really delay the ability to have a burial a funeral relatively quick and we had some family members who were only going to be in town so long and then as we walked through what may have caused the death it uh basically the at- autopsy would confirm what it would it wasn't it, like without it, like rule rule out a bunch of things but would it wouldn't definitively tell us so I uh, decide not to do the autopsy. We agree, Emily and I agree to to not do the autopsy and to move ahead with the uh, with the funeral that week. Um, the uh, funeral home was uh, paid, gave us the grave and the little tiny uh, uh, casket free, which is, wow. is it happens a lot actually in a lot of places. They're very very sweet and sensitive people. They did a very good job.
3: And um so then uh I, I remember uh laying the body,
4: Emily laying the body down on top of the cart where they usually put the babies and have the light and you know, checking them out. And they rolled her out of the room, man, you know, and that was that. Probably one of the biggest regrets I have looking back on this is that I did not I didn't let my children see the body. And I think that was just out of our grief that we were just trying to move forward somehow. And then, um, but that it's hard to come to terms with someone dying without seeing them. It, It really is important to see the dead body. If you can, one reason is because it's, doesn't look human and in a sense. It isn't in the full sense anymore. Right. The spirit yeah. is departed. And anytime you see a guy's dead body, it looks like a different person almost, right? Like something's not right. And it's good for the kids to see that because it brings home the reality of life. And nowadays, we hide away old people, we hide them away in homes and we don't see their deaths anymore. So everything's very, we celebrate youth, we, we hide with filters and makeup and whatever the fact that our bodies are decaying and falling apart. So I wish I'd done that for uh, the boys, but I did it, and you kind of learn because you want to move. I wouldn't do cremation. Um, cremation is not in line with scripture at all. Uh, people do it sometimes because it's the cheapest way to do it. Sure. Um, they think it's environmental. I would urge anyone that's thinking about it, just to study scripture on your own. I don't want to lay any heavy burden on someone, but literally. Everyone's always buried in scripture. And the only time we see someone not buried is uh, they talk about basically desecrating bodies and burning bones or whatever, how this was a a terrible sin and a pagan thing to do. Um, So it's it's in line with the resurrection. So that's something you need to kind of think through. And as a Christian, we should actually have a doctrine of burial, a better doctrine of death, but we don't. Um, It's not a fun thing to talk about. So anyhow, um, we go home, uh, well, we go pick up the kids, uh, from our friend's house. I think we are there for a night. Yeah, we were. I slept on the couch. I slept on this little tiny, you know, I'm six foot one and it's like this little miserable, cheap, Ikea, like couch thing in the room. Yeah. You kinda like. Yeah. You wake up and like, you got like, you know, your, your, your back's all sore and, So then uh, we go and we pick up the kids and held them. And we all cried together. It was, it was, it was interesting, you know? So then that would have been, Hudson would have been six. Athol would have been four. And Cademan would have been two in July. Yeah. Maybe one year older than that. Um, But they all knew, like they all felt the loss, what had had happened. And uh, so that, that's kind of what set up, Set up a lot of interesting things that I never saw covered in a book mm-hmm. like i I didn't like I hate how people use the word trauma, and it's clearly used to To kind of push forward a victim ideology, but there is clearly such thing as psychological trauma that does weird things to your body sure like that's that's real. No one warned us about um, ha- about that. Uh, they probably didn't know. And uh, and then we didn't know that there were people that would come around to help you and other people that would come around in a sort of parasitical nature. We can talk about that more if you like. But that's kind of – that sets it all up. That's how it all went down.
1: Yeah. How did that affect your you, your family going like
4: long term? Well, I remember – after we found out that she was dead and we dropped the kids off, I was driving in the, the van with Emily. And I said, you know, I guess we get to decide if we're really Christians or not right now. Hmm. And it was, it's always funny how people question God when bad things happen. Why do you think Jesus dying on the cross and resurrecting is good news? The world is a bad place. You mm-hmm. didn't know this is news to you that there's death everywhere. Oh, but I mean, that's other people. And it happens to me. Why God? It's going to happen to everybody. Everyone, you know, someone, I remember someone said to me, uh, you you know, you get, you don't always react the way you should after an event like this, but someone said, I just can't imagine what that was like. And I said to them, I said, well, give it time, right? Give it time. You people you love will die in tragedies, die in cancer, die in car accidents, even more random things. I remember a story, a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, they were picking them up at uh airport and his daughter got caught and crushed to death in this cart thing. It was pushing mm-hmm. right right in front of them. She got crushed to death, right? Give it time, these things happen. And uh, you think these days people, <laughs> you think how unprepared this current set of generations are where like little words crush them. But wait, wait till they start to see what is coming to all of us which is uh death is an enemy man it's an enemy it's a real enemy every much the enemy that the devil is and so it 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 had some unexpected things so for me i was a really uh, sensitive child very intuitive kind of a emo sort of feeler um but I grew up in a broken home. I grew up above a bar. I grew up with a, a father who loved me, but struggled with alcoholism and gambling and a mother who was overcompensating and emotional and just kind of on the streets. So I had gotten to a place where I had to kind of um, numb my emotions to survive that. And that led to a sort of emotional stunting. And then when my daughter died, it unlocked something in me where previous I, I didn't really have, uh, I think, normal human compassion, to be quite honest, like Mm -hmm. robotic almost. Kind of cynical. Well, it was deeper. It was like a deep brokenness, like something wasn't right, like didn't feel like I know theoretically I should feel sympathy for them, but I don't. So I will act in such a way that I'm expected to, but I don't feel it. After my daughter died, um, I couldn't watch movies anymore. Yeah. I, I couldn't watch anything. And so what... I told people it's like every anytime you've had your eyes dilated, right? Suddenly your pupils are wide and all the light comes in. Well, it was like I had been emotionally dilated. (laughs) And now um, I could could really identify and feel people. And what movies are, I think a lot of people are addicted to movies because basically if you take dramatic lights and music and add to anything, you can evoke emotional experiences. So a lot of people are going to movies because they can't feel anymore, right? They need like that. They need that that jolt. They love to feel alive again. They love to feel emotions. They say it's wonder, but it's not just wonder. It's it's just feelings, period. And well, when your eyes are open and when you feel, that's too much. I don't need fake pain. I got real pain. I don't need any of that. I got so much. And it ended up changing me as a person, being much more sensitive and, and kind of reclaiming some of that intuitiveness around people and be able to identify with it. And I, I, I felt guilty that you know, feel all this weird survivor's guilt. I felt guilty that it took the death of my daughter to make me emotionally normal or well, yeah. the Lord, the Lord, the Lord's kind. He uses terrible things in unexpected ways. So that that's, that happened to me. I kind of came alive emotionally. My wife was exceedingly numb and distant. And uh, for the first couple of weeks, acted bizarre. And she she kept thinking if she could figure out when the baby died or how the baby died, that the baby would no longer be dead. It was like she's stuck in a mental time loop. So she's trying to, if she can solve this puzzle in her head, the child will still be alive. And I remember talking to her I'm like, she's dead. And it was like realizing you're talking to someone who has had some sort of break with reality. Right. And that trauma, I hear people talking like about biblical counseling and all this stuff. Well, this needs scripture. I don't disagree, man. I don't disagree. I'm with you. But I can tell that you're naive about life. You haven't gone through some of this because I can remember I, I was just actually writing a chapter for the book that we're trying to finish. And I was at a Kohl's buying a, uh, a tie for work. And I don't know what did it. I just started crying and I stuck my head, stuck my head in the clothes. Like, I didn't know, sir, are you okay? (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah. I'm cool. You know, (laughs) you're like, what in the world? Where did that come from? Well, it just uh, erupts. Right. And it, And so trauma, the idea of a a disturbing event, something that's disturbing, you know, if you ever seen a dead body or a person ran over by a car, right. These things are like, it's very like, uh, messes you up. Right. Um, and so my wife was dealing with this, this trauma and I was dealing with my own stuff, trying to figure it out. And I think what people need to realize is that there's just men and women definitely deal with it differently. Women tend to deal with it. On the front end, guys are much more delayed down the line. So you see this in soldiers with PTSD. Basically, sure. a guy can watch his friend blow up in front of him, and then he keeps pushing the mission forward, then gets home, and it's like, I saw my friend blow up in front of me, and starts having all sorts of problems, right? Um, that That's kind of a broad difference, but really just each person has to work through it in their own way. And, uh, there is no way that you can, you can't really shorten it. You just got to push through, got to keep on pushing. And I had a friend that called me up about the death of someone else's child. He said, what can I say to make it better? I was like, nothing, Yeah, nothing will make it better. But what you can do is you can say, I love you. I'm here for you whenever, if I, if I can watch your kids or whatever, or if there's just one, something to listen, I'm here. Love you, man. That's kind of, that's kind of all you can do. Right. They're dead. Someone they cared about. Right. You, you think your little words can make that better.
3: Like yeah. you can be there. You can be there for them. Now go a long way.
2: Yeah. And the, and the culture we live in where everything we have a quick and easy fix for that's definitely not something that is going to get people through that. I mean, you mentioned this in general, Americans kind of have an odd, and maybe not just America, the West in general have an odd relationship with death. So we, you know, we simultaneously try to ignore it, we're terrified of it, or we, I think Doug Wilson maybe said this, like, pornify it, like, build it up as something grotesque to enjoy. Um, What would be some of your suggestions on recovering a proper understanding
3: of, of death from a Christian perspective? Well, um, I think one is even this recover a natural general revelation,
4: understanding of death, go to funerals, go to funerals. So here's kind of a tragedy. Uh, Several months before our daughter died, there was another child in our church who was a toddler. Um, Nicholas, and he – I don't really understand what caused it, but I did know that his mother had done some mission work over in – around the Ukraine and Russia and had been exposed to toxic materials and messed her up. And I think some of that had affected the kid as well um, because she got pregnant with him prior – or not prior, after that. Um, So she came in and found him in his crib, like convulsing and bleeding from his mouth. He dies, okay? So – I um at the beginning of the of the year 2009 2009 oh no no 2012 that's when it happened 2012. the beginning of 2012 I had been reflecting a lot on James chapter one um you know what can all joy when you fall on various you know trials and was reflecting on that and actually reading a lot on death for some weird reason it just happened to it wasn't a normal topic for me and so I decided that I was going to take all my kids to funerals. So then we go to that funeral and there's this little tiny casket up front, right? And um all these people crying. It was, it was, it was really rough, right? And uh I remember walking out of that funeral with my three boys, and I believe it was Hudson, my, my eldest. He said, that's not gonna happen to Nicaea, is it? And I said, No,
3: no, Nicaea is safe. <laughs> wow. And um, but um but it starts to prepare them for uh, uh, reality, seeing, seeing dead people,
4: um, hearing uh, good graveside exhortations, good uh, biblical funerals, right? Like, it's not a celebration of life. We are mourning death. Now, it's not, we don't mourn without hope, right? Amen. There's hope of re- resurrection. There's all that. But death that the the whole celebration of life is a cope, right? It's like a whole way to not deal with it. Um and people need to deal with it. So I think one way is honestly start going to funerals. Um and that that'll go a long way. It especially helps when there are funerals of believers with good, faithful pastors that are gonna actually do the funeral in a Christian way. And sadly, those are not as common as we'd like to see them. Uh-huh. But um but I think that's how we start to recapture it. And just read a good book I recommend is God's Light on a Dark Cloud by Kyler. He was a kind of a liberal-ish for the time Presbyterian minister. Uh, kind of ran with like Lyman Beecher and those guys in the 1800s. They're a little bit of pulpiteers. But that particular book, he's actually really good. Kyler, C-U-Y-L-E-R, God's Light on a Dark Cloud. Fantastic book. Very short. You can read it. A little artsy. But I think when you're going through that, that's a helpful thing to read. Uh, the problem with though, so many of the books on death is they're long, they're so long or they're emotionally manipulative, right? Yeah. And trying to find something that is vulnerable and accessible, right? So like you can feel them. You do want to feel that ethos. You want to be able to connect, um, but not to this sort of indulgent, self-indulgent pity party, trauma party sort of thing that can happen in that, in that world. I think Kyler's book doesn't do that. Um, I think reading sermons on first Corinthians 15, mm. uh, you know, the resurrection thinking about death. that, that, those are some places to start.
1: Great. How do you um, see that men should lead their family through this season? You've mentioned a little bit with like taking your kids to a funeral. Do you have any other ideas?
3: Yeah. um, So when you, when you have something like this happen. So I was really involved in the the life of the church where I at at that time,
4: as was my wife served on different committees, small groups, all that sort of stuff. I think it's wise to, to cut back on your commitments, but not pull out. What okay. You're going you're to gonna want to do one of two things. You're going to want to like basically throw yourself into all those commitments. So you don't have to think about it anymore. That's not really good. And you're going to pull, if you pull out, you can kind of just go down a dark, dark place. And so the, um, what you've got to do is kind of stay in the life of the church, but pull out for a time. Then I think it is good to get away on some sort of vacation a couple months after the event. Um, the, the vacation may end up being miserable. <laughs> it might be okay. But, um, it, the change in scenery will often el- cause you to start processing things. Cause that's what's happening. It's like, it's almost like chewing food or digesting. You're like processing what happened to you and you, yeah. a, ch- a change in c- scenery can help dislodge that. The other thing is, uh, anytime something like a child dies, it it can result in a quick divorce. Um, you can start blaming each other for it. Uh, you can, or like with my wife, she was in a deep depression for nine months. It was hard. I, I remember screaming at her, saying, "You got to wake up from this. We got we got three little boys that are alive. I can't do this by myself." <laughs> right, losing my temper, and I had to apologize. But you know, it was hard, man. It was hard. It's uh, and so I think you have to decide that you're going to pull together and and love one another and sympathize because it, it'll either pull you tighter together or pull you apart. But I haven't seen it in the lives of anyone I know not do one of those two things. Sure. Um, and so I think you have to decide, uh, you really have to back off uh, some of your commitments and, and spend more quality time with your family um, through that season. And it doesn't need to always be talking about it. That it's more about just creating some space. The other thing that you have to do as a man is you have to protect your family. And so I wrote some blog posts on this and it's probably one of the first things I've ever had truly go viral. Um, and uh, it was crazy. Like we had, I got like a thousand emails and people somehow, uh, I don't know how they got our address, but all of these gift cards poured in, and sweet, very sweet notes. Um, hmm. It was uh, really amazing. But as I tried to answer the emails, I remember this one really stuck out to me. Where the woman was very sweet. She linked to a blog post, and she had lost a son to a motorcycle accident. As I recall, it was like it was like twenty or something. And she uh, said, "I still go to his grave every day." And I was like, "Huh, it's pretty intense." Then I looked, and she had a picture of the grave on her blog. And this guy had died like eighteen years ago. Wow, that is not good. That's not healthy. So then, we had this woman um, that took interest in my wife. She too had lost a child. Um, she met well, but she um, she was drawn to the the commonality of the trauma and, and all that. And she herself, we Emily and I like to talk about the valley. This just metaphor. Uh, and when you get down deep in the valley, you can only see the light creeping over the mountains. If you creep, your like squint your eyes. When you're down in the valley, you find people who set up camp there. And they know everything about the darkness of the valley, right? They wrote songs about it. They think about it a lot. They, they, and, and so when you're in the darkness, you're like, this is a new place. Like, oh yeah, here's, let me describe to you the darkness. And at first it seems like these are um, co-travelers. But then you slowly realize that some of these people in the valley are traveling to nowhere. Hmm. They, they want to co They're reiterate. set up camp. They have set up camp in the valley. Exactly. Um, and then uh, and they want you to stay there with them because they want, they want fellowship. It's not, it doesn't have to be like super evil intentions. It's that, I wish life worked that way, but life is much more subconscious, you realize over time. And so this woman was trying to keep my wife there. And she would call and talk to my wife and like, oh, well, I feel like you should be, I'm gushing to you and you should be opening up more to me because it just happened to you. And Emma was like, what we decided is that it, apparently it's not Churchill. I don't know who really said it, but when you're going through hell, keep going, right? Yeah. And, and we said, you know what? This sucks. We're going to be real about our pain. We're just going to lean into it. We're going to find our way out of this place, but we're not going to live here. We're not going to lose our life. Like a child died. She's in heaven. She will never know. Yes. She'll never get married, but she also will never know the pain, the sin of this world. Right. Amen. Um, And and so you have to come to this place where you say these people are, are, I called them drama vampires that offended everybody. When I wrote that, (laughs) I'm like, Hey, I had a kid die. Shut up. I get to say some of these things, but, um, but they, they they live. They they suck life from your drama, and, and again, they don't mean to do it. It's almost like lampreys on the side of a chart, a shark. But um, they they suck life and then they keep you there. And uh-huh. these people, a lot of these wounded healers. Oh, I've been through pain too. Let me help you. They're just they're just wounded. They're not healers, and they keep you there. And that's like you see so much of this stuff online, where they are people have been raped and want to cancel counsel rape victims um that's great if she's come to terms with that and walked through it to the other side has a biblical view of all those things and 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 has a view of, doesn't blame God or whatever I remember someone telling me I I would understand if you're angry at God and I'm like I'm not angry at God right and and uh well God God uh caused this for his glory well you mean he permitted it Okay, so he permits it, and that's supposed to bring me more comfort than he caused it. If he caused it at some level, right, um, then there's a purpose behind it. If he permits it, it's like his hands are tied or something. Right. You know, and these people, so they keep try- it's almost like they want you to be mad at God because they're mad at God. But we weren't, and we didn't want to be around people that were stewing in it, and we didn't want to be mad at God. Did, did Emma get mad at God at times? She did. Did we have like dark moments? Absolutely, but we didn't want to set up camp and live there. And you have to, you have to be very careful who you let into your life in times like this. And and as a husband, if you can get get it together, I basically said, you can't hang out with that woman anymore. And Emma already didn't want to. But she needed permission because she thought she she felt, like, obligated to be nice. But I was like, this, this is not good for us. We cannot do this. And uh, so I, part of leading them through is backing off, spending good time together, and avoiding the drama vampires that feast on your misery. Get away from those people. And, uh, yeah. And then we we got pregnant. We got, like, we had Irish twins. So uh Nicaea. <laughs> yeah, yes yes and it, it was but i'll tell you what so you have nicaea die in august and then galilee die or born in july um so galilee we named her galilee after the seas of galilee that jesus calmed as mm-hmm. a reminder that god is sovereign and i always tell people like she was a constellation, not like a constellation prize but a comfort right and uh but children aren't goldfish Right? There is no replacing uh, the loss of a child. Nothing will ever, ever make the pain go away.
3: Uh-huh.
4: It will change, but it will never go away. It's kind of like that scene in Lord of the Rings where there's some scars, some wounds that never fully heal. Not this side, not this side of uh, of heaven. Uh, you will carry it. It'll change. It'll go from sharp to numb to numb to sharp. And then you'll start to find kind of a baseline. And every once in a while, some sort of event or sound or smell will pull you back to it for a moment. But uh, but the birth, and it was a scary nine months. I mean, it was scary. I remember we were scared to get pregnant because we were like, is there a genetic problem? Are we going to have another baby die? And and then I was like, you know what? I'm sick of this. I'm sick of living in fear. Let's just go back to if we get pregnant, we get pregnant. And then we we got pregnant like right away. Uh, actually, after a woman loses a baby, there's kind of hyper fertility a lot of times. Okay. Um, interesting enough. But uh, yeah, we had her. And I think one of the lessons I learned through this is that. So these days, I would not be a stickler on the contraceptive. I'd say no abortifacients, right? Nothing that kills a child. But I wouldn't get too weird about barrier method or anything like that. Uh, I would say your attitude should be where you welcome, yeah, you, you prize fruitfulness, and you guys, you and your wife work together to figure out what harvest you can bring in, right? Yeah. Um, I, and I, that would be my, my counsel. Um, but what I learned is, boy, we think we have way more control than we do. Because we had three babies, and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to have any more kids, you know, we just keep having kids, and she just pops them out one after another, and get pregnant, and the baby dies, right? And what a rebuke to our our pride and to how we take uh, so many uh, complicated, difficult things for granted. We really do. And children should never be taken for granted—the gift of fertility. Amen. How many people uh, take children for granted and like, oh, I don't know if I want to have kids, and then they decide to have one kid. And then they don't get pregnant for the first several months. They start to freak out, right? Start to, uh-huh. oh no, we're infertile. What are we going to do? And and uh, it's because they take it for granted, right? And it, it's cursed. It's cursed. It's um, it's under the fall right now. And it's difficult and it's hard. And and so with infertility, 40% of the time, it's the guy. 40% of the time, it's the gal. And 20% of the time, who knows, right? Mm. And same thing with some of these... Uh, stillbirths some of these uh, miscarriages you some of it is you need to correct uh, vitamins get better protein there's things you can do to ensure the baby implants and, and stays uh, well uh, but sometimes it's just a mystery and you don't know and it's hard one what an advantage of a stillbirth over a miscarriage is as a man you see the baby and that helps you identify with your wife. Your wife has a relationship in a miscarriage with the child that you don't. Your relationship is totally abstract and theoretical. But once you see that kid, you know, that's mine, right? And, and with the stillbirth, you, you realize, you feel, you share in the loss with her. It's not identical. I mean, there's all sorts of things that no one tells you about. Her milk comes in after a stillbirth. So she's got yeah. these boobs that are like rocks, right? And super sore. And, and there's no baby there to drink. If you pump them, they'll keep producing milk. Right. So you have to find a way to uh to there's actually a forget type of leaves you put on it that actually causes it to stop doing that. It's like some sort of, I forget, it's not like lettuce, it's cabbage. I can't remember, it's something weird. I'll have to look it up somewhere. But um th- those sort of things no one tells you about. No one tells you like you don't even think about it. Like a woman's walking around. So and then every baby she sees, right? kills her on the inside yeah and so on mother's day people always say we should be careful about mother's day we could offend those who've lost babies why is it sad to lose a baby because motherhood is a gift from god yes we should celebrate that like that's why we hurt because it's good right it's it's such a Self-indulgent. Those are people that have set up camp in the valley and have enshrined their pain and misery and use it as a tool to beat you in submission to their emotional needs. Right. It's like folks that have some sort of food allergy and they always have to bring it up, you know, to 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 <laughs> sort of like exercise some sort of control over you. Now, you no, know, once you've lost a child and you're in a healthy place, you're like, yeah, motherhood motherhood is great. Fatherhood is great. We should celebrate these things because children die. Right. And sometimes you can't even have kids and uh, it's a praiseworthy thing. Um,
1: Speaking of mothers, how, um, how do you see wives supporting, and respecting their husbands and their family through like this season? I know it's, it's obviously very different for men and women. And um, like you mentioned, you know, it's, women will often enter kind of a season of depression. Um, I know Jordan and I have both been through miscarriages in our families. And um, like you say, it is, it's very different with a miscarriage because you don't actually see um, the body. Um, and our wives probably struggled with it a lot more than we did just because we didn't have that direct visual re- relationship there. So how do you see mothers, um, Supporting their husbands, supporting their families through this?
3: I would say it's all basic stuff. Hug him. Tell him he's a good dad. Hmm. Have sex with them. It's one way a guy can be comforted. Um, Try beware of blaming. Do not blame. Even if it is his fault. Even if it is her fault, my gosh, once you say those words, they are out. And I'm not saying you can't recover,
4: but it will not be easy. It will not be easy. Be very careful on that. You know, like, let's say I, I think of the stories where a woman leaves the baby in the back of the car and she forgets and the kid dies of from heat, right? I mean, it's such a it's not just the baby yeah. it's the it's the marriage right the marriage freaks you out um and uh what it would do to that really give yourself to prayer and go somewhere and pour all those angry uh, emotional feelings out to the Lord process it with the Lord uh that people don't pray enough and then pray for your husband
3: he uh feels guilt as well um uh, it's, it's very hard to realize that you can't protect your family from all things and you have to
4: uh, things like that you know i can't be there with my kids every time they cross the street you know can't make sure that they always look the right way and i have seen them run across church parking lots not looking left right left again makes you want to strangle them right um every week (laughs) yeah you're like oh my I, I yeah I'm, I just it's amazing how we survive how anyone survives to adulthood really but uh I think um pr- pray for him, pray with him, let him grieve his way. He is not you
3: um men tend to grieve quietly um. make space for him to get out
4: with his friends. I would say that goes for both ways for the spouse, spouses, let each other get away. Women, the sisterhood, the brotherhood, need to get out, kind of reboot. Um, Guys can open up to other guys in a way that they can't to their wife. um, Vice versa is true. Uh, Create some of that space. um, Comfort each other with each other's bodies. Sweet words. uh, Make good food.
3: I mean, it's just, it's just. All all the things that were good before the baby died. Pull back and focus on those things, Hmm. those highlights, right? That's good. So shifting
2: gears just for a minute, um, just kind of a broader picture of death. How should men in particular prepare for death? What do we need to do to prepare for that young, old?
4: Again, I feel like it's kind of the basic
3: stuff. If you're reading scripture and praying scripturally, praying the Lord's Prayer, praying through the prayers of Paul,
4: this is a good book by, I don't like everything that D.A. Carson does. He's kind of like a weird half liberal. It's hard to understand, you know, like he's behind the general neutral, gender neutral uh, Bible translations, you know. It's weird. Yeah, I was
1: just listening to Masculine Christianity and Garris kind of gets after him a couple of times.
4: No, does he? That sounds like Zach. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. So, but he wrote a book called spiritual reformation, praying the prayers of Paul. It's actually a really good book. Um, praying the praying the priorities of Paul. I can't remember. Spiritual reformation is what it's called though. That's a good book. And uh, I'm, I'm teaching through the Lord's uh, the Lord's prayer right now. So Kevin DeYoung's book on uh, the Lord's prayer. is like a really short, good book. He's a good writer. He just lacks punch, man. It's good content. It's a little boring. But praying, when you pray, it connects you to the eternal and to the priorities of God. And uh, and that helps you really prepare for the next life. It's about being heavily minded so you can be spiritually good, right? And the way you prepare for death is living your life fully now for God. You know, so Paul's thinking... Should I go to heaven or should I stay here? Well, heaven is a bazillion times better, but in terms of getting work done it's here, so I'm gonna stay around as long as I can, and that's my attitude like I'm gonna live as long as I can and cause as much damage for the glory of God um and uh and then when I die, I die. but I'll tell you what you'll start preparing for death uh soon because you'll start getting aches and stuff, but you. In your late 30s early 40s you start feeling it especially if you didn't take care of yourself but uh you'll uh you'll start um feeling something's not same your testosterone's going down your estrogen's going up your hair's falling out um your belly's pushing forward uh you'll you'll see that um that vivaciousness that you had in youth is changing and i think you have to learn to celebrate the seasons of life. You have a, you have a spring and you have a winter, right? And I'm okay with getting old. It doesn't bother me at all. Whatever. Like I broke my jaw some years ago and had to have some teeth replaced, and it's like been missing a tooth since I was 18. I lost it in a wrestling accident. When you like lose a tooth or cut a finger off or something, you know. <laughs> Then you're like, yeah, I'm falling apart. This, this <laughs> little tent. That's what Paul says. It's a ragged tent that needs to be reconstituted into a mansion. And I think this reflecting on falling apart, again, going to funerals, praying, studying God's word, talking openly about death. Um. I mean, who knows? Most of us are going to die of heart disease and cancer. Sure. So That's how most of us go. And, uh, so I think that's how you do. You, you, you really focus on your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right. And that, that prepares you. Let's yeah. do this. Like, you know, it's, it's the, it's the deep, it's when you hold your breath right before the plunge. You ever watch where they, those, those swimmers, they go into this little tube at the top and the ground falls out from beneath them and they go down a water slide. Right. It's like it's a tube water slide and they drop straight down. Oh, yeah. yeah, I've seen that. They they sit in these things. And um, it may be that you have that moment, that breath right before we take the plunge and enter into heaven. What is that like? I just open my eyes and I'm there. Does it feel like traversing dimensions? Well, I don't know. I have no clue. But what an adventure. Right. You know, I, I went to the Grand Canyon a couple weeks ago with my family and you get there and you're like, wow, that is a big hole. And it is, it looks fake. It looks like a green screen. Really? Even the, the pictures we took there look fake. It's like, it's so amazing. It's so otherworldly. And the Grand Canyon is good for two hours or a week, but nothing in between because What are you going to climb down to the bottom of it one day? Like, that's not with seven kids. You aren't. No, you're not. You can kind of look at it for two hours. And after a while, you're like, okay, it's amazing. I got it. But it's going to just be this amazing. And I can't stare at this all the time. But I remember just thinking like, wow, what? How do I see? What does that even mean? How How do you see without eyes? And what will I see? What is the glory of the Lord? Like, what does that even mean? And uh, to take another adventure, right, the, the greatest adventure, uh, to be with him who saved me, to be with him who made me, right, to be with those that he saved. Two, meet up with Nicaea and find out what she did for the last 70 years. 70 years without me. She is a time, she is a, a, a human,
3: and humans experience time. Um, who is she? What does her voice sound like? Is she, is she like the other
4: girls? Does, did her personality develop in heaven similar to how her siblings developed down here on earth? I don't know. There's so many wonders. There's so many. With each Christian that dies that you love is another link with heaven. It's someone else to see, right, on the other side of that voyage. I think that's how you prepare. You start thinking about it and once death visits your home in a
3: in a big way it is it is deciding if this is for real or not right huh.
4: right are you really a christian do you really look forward to the resurrection is heaven a comfort is god a savior and redeemer all those things come home and that's how death can be a blessing you know
1: some wise words there and that's It's difficult to sit there and think about that, but we all have to face it. As we kind of wrap up here towards the end, you know, one of the things we see a lot of in culture is kind of, as you mentioned earlier, people, the parasitical people, people trying to tear you down. I think you've done some podcast work on this at some point or written about it, but uh, kind of the crabs that always want to pull you down. And you have a kind of a unique way of handling that in this public sphere of social media, how do you uh, suggest like Christians should uh, handle something like death through social media um, or posting stuff online when kind of everybody else is looking to tear people down, tear down what's true and good?
4: What is my unique way of dealing with it? Well, you're curious. I'm curious to hear. (laughs) From my perspective, you uh,
1: are very careful about what you're posting. You're not out there just throwing flames, trying to like get controversy started. Like You you yeah. don't seem like you have time to deal with controversy or, or drama, I guess is probably a better way to put it.
4: Yeah, I don't know. You're I not out care. stirring the pot. Yeah. So on death, um, you want to be, uh, I think of it as narcissistic vomiting and narcissistic isolating. Um, so narcissistic vomiting is when you're driven to constantly talk about yourself or pain in an effort to fish for pity or reaffirm your victim status. Right. Yeah. So uh, people constantly, uh, people trying to people doing this will turn every conversation back to their pain. Right. They constantly post pictures and statuses on social media About their pain. And I I did that to some degree. That was the early days of social media, right? It was like. No one knows what they're doing. We're still figuring it out, right? And you're like, I don't know if you ever look at your Facebook memories and you see your status and you're like, oh my gosh, that's embarrassing, (laughs) right? That was dumb. I I can't believe I said it that way. And so if that, you have to know your tendencies. If that's your tendency, um, then take a break from social media, right? For a set period of time, remove the apps from your phone. Sign off your home computer. Commit yourself to doing menial tasks for others. Work hard. Um, use your pain to minister others by by listening. You know, especially to your spouse. Narcissistic isolating is when you're driven to separate yourself from others so you can stew in your misery, nurse your bitterness, and avoid rebuke. And people manifest that um, form of self focus by isolating themselves by being consumed in solitary projects and removing themselves from any form of gathering. So my wife, um, she did this to some degree. She, uh, got really tied up in this, this quilt project. And like, I feel like I couldn't pull her away from it. And she was just, that's all she is. And she made these quilts for the last three kids. (coughs) Pardon me. And, um, and she was finished this one for Nicaea. And it was like, really, I forget some I forget what special type of quilt it is. I'm not an expert in quilts. Not a main passion point for me. But nonetheless, she, um, she worked on this quilt. And uh, if that's who you are, um, you then need to take a break from some of your projects. Um, your spouse needs to be there. You know, actually, I can send you a video that I did. I, I actually did do this. And I made a really dramatic, sad video. Um, and it, it is, uh, it, we used yes, to do us a
1: link, we'll put it in the show notes. So
4: can, uh... <laughs> I'll send it. I, I'm proud of my editing abilities way back then, but I used to do these videos where I, uh, um, would take all my iPhone videos and, and cut them and make them all dramatic and set them to some really good music. Right. And this one was, uh, Oh, what is the, that great band M 46 M whatever the, uh, Yeah. It's a, anyway, 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 if you're, you lose yourself in projects to some degree, it's okay, but you can't pull out of church. Let people know on social media from time to time, how you're doing, you know, just by, you don't have to say, here's how I'm doing. Right. You can share a recipe. Here's a picture of something you're working with. You know, they know you're okay. And, um, and then I would say with people on social media, uh, how to deal with people on social media. It's super simple. One, who cares? It's the first, who cares, right? If they're your friends, they won't act like idiots on social media repeatedly. Um, these are probably strangers that you barely know and you're in some stupid group and they friended you and you did it. And now like you've act, you have this fake relationship. So delete their comments, block them, ignore them, hide their comments block them you can also block them that really helps i block all sorts of people That feature
2: exists for a reason right
4: it does people say i feel like you're censoring me i am i am censoring that's what i'm doing (laughs) it's like i it's i can do that um i don't like hearing what you have to say uh i don't i didn't i didn't know i was in a covenantal relationship (laughs) with you um and so through through twitter uh, or facebook yeah, like just the obligations that people put on you through social media. Like, answer my question and answer it now. Uh, no, I. What do you mean? What do you think? You think I'm like sitting on my toilet here, staring at my phone? <laughs> like, I have a job, man. But I would just say, uh, be wise on what you talk about and you know, so much of social media is, look at me, look at me. Like uh, every time I see a change my mind post, I think, uh, I start seeing it. El- Eleanor Rigby, you know, oh, look at all the lonely, lonely people, people. Ba, 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 ba. change my mind. It's like, here, come talk to me, come argue with me. I'm so lonely. Yeah. Let's talk about something. I'm passionate about right now. And I'm like, how about I don't change your mind? How about <laughs> I sign off? Because They're not and- going to
2: change their mind.
4: Yeah. And I get it. Some of it's, all good fun, tongue in cheek, whatever. But these days, all of it seems so asinine and fake. It's like, so you, social media, you can have two ways to deal with social media. It's kind of a little bit of a rabbit trail. One, it can be about social, connecting with people. That is not what it is for me. Um, I always tell people this and they get really mad. And my wife says it's off-putting. But I tell them, I'm not your friend and I don't really care about you. I don't. I don't think about you. Just like At least it's true, I, right? Well, the thing is, like, it's not to be mean. Like, I just don't want to, you, we, let's not redefine friendship. Friendship is is precious. Right. Like, we're like virtual acquaintances that know what we know of each other is whatever we have curated on this platform. Right? It is like, I always, people say, oh, you live such an exciting life. In moments, I do. Oh, yeah. You know, I went to SpaceX Starbase a couple weeks ago. That was bizarre. Like, I couldn't believe I did that. But um, but most days, I'm like, Cayman, did you take the trash out, right? Why is there a fork in the middle of the floor? There's another fork in this room. <laughs> are we taking forks out and laying them through the house like bread? That's normal life, man, right? And it's like, yep. has anyone, I said this morning, my life is, I, I live in a constant state of wonder, wondering where my keys are, wondering where my wallet is, <laughs> wondering where my other boot is. Here's one boot, the other boot. Should be by it. I took them off together. Did someone take my boot? You know, that's life. Life is full of boring moments. Life is uh, like not everything's perfect or whatever. And whatever you see on social media is curated. That's okay if you understand that. Well, I'm going to put my worst pictures online for people to see. Why would I do that? I'm going to put good pictures. And we all understand those are good pictures. And we should all understand these are the highlights. But we've gotten where we think that's reality and it's just a sliver of reality. And I just tell people to just beware of what you put on there. If someone's like coming after you, don't try to change your mind, just delete it and hide it and move on with your life. You know, I, I use it for media purposes. I'm trying to get out ideas, whatever. I, I prefer these sort of interactions way more than I do anything online. It's like I throw in the ether online just yeah. never, like, people write these, I'm always blown away how people will write, like, these paragraphs, several paragraphs, and they got, like, points and sub points responding to you. And you're like, did you Did you have that, like, saved to, like, a notepad on your phone? Or did you literally For their just their
2: dissertation write they were working yeah.
4: on. Yeah, right. And they said, no, I just wrote that. And I just think, wow, we are different. <laughs> like, like, you know, I to me, you're going to probably get the Shaq gift. Where he shakes his little shoulders, and uh, or are you going to get the Homer Simpson disappearing into the into the
2: bushes? Sm- yeah.
4: Bushes. Those are my two favorite gifts, or the Jack Nicholson shaking his head. Yes, real crazy. Um, is that a higher, elevated form of communication? It is not. But we are on social media, so that's what you get. <laughs> so yeah, I, like I don't know. That. Know your boundaries. Um, maybe the the real death we need is the death of social media.
2: Right, but. I don't think that would be a bad thing. I believe we mentioned that in an episode we had mentioned was a JC Ryle and something about how is Twitter going to be in heaven. And Peter said, man, I really, I really hope not. It probably would yeah. not be heaven if, uh, if Twitter is there.
4: But if it was JC Ryle and, and Thomas Watson, they would have been really good at Twitter. Those guys, oh, they kill it, man. They they're punchy little points. I love those two guys. They affect me more than anybody. Watson, Watson can take like in one sentence he can draw such a beautiful picture for you it's amazing Ryle is the same way they always make you feel those are guys that got lagos pathos and ethos all together man they do such yeah. a good job but uh yeah I'm I'm happy to not um, be part of it
2: very good um well Michael thank you so much for your time today um, how can our listeners connect and support you find more about you.
4: This is Foster on Twitter. Um so between now and heaven, you can follow me on Twitter. When we're in heaven, we have deduced that it's likely not going to be around anymore, but
2: people have to talk to you face to face.
4: Face to face, man, uh like the apostle John said I have many things to say to you, but not with ink and pen, but face to face, right? But uh I'm on there the most. I'm I'm working on a couple projects. One is finishing the book, uh Surviving the Death of a Daughter. Then uh, I've got Practical Theology rolling out this week or next. And that's 12 episodes where I look at the theology behind certain behaviors or practices like sleep, Hmm. margin, rhythm, uh, elocution, um, why we binge, uh, all that sort of stuff, and and talk about the the practical implications of different theology. So 20-minute episodes – the one I the, I'm actually recording one today on sleep and that one is uh looking at the theology of sleep while we don't sleep and ending with a couple uh, I always end each episode with a simple plan to to work on it because as I've been around people I, I've recognized that folks usually need like three or four just it's really practical like how do I do this how do I love my wife how do I sleep better how do I bring order to my life and um And I'm a real simple person. I love simplicity. I love practicality. I like to get to the heart of things. That's, again, J.C. Ryle, my son Cyprian Ryle Foster. He's named after all. I love that sort of Christianity because I remember when I first read the book of James, I was like, finally, finally someone is telling me what to do. Yeah, Tell me how to be a Christian and by... I'll do it. So, you know, and then you read the Sermon on the Mount. You're like, oh, so James basically took the Sermon on the Mount and Proverbs and blended them together. Um, right. And and that's why it's so helpful. But uh, so that's rolling out and I'll share all that stuff on, um, on Twitter and the other project that I just started a week ago. And if you follow me on Facebook, you probably saw like a ton of content on marriage, like just coming out. That's because um, I... Tentatively titled, It's Good to Be a Husband is in process. Nan and I started it. And uh, we're writing a book. It's not a theology of marriage, kind of like the last book was not how to be a man in every area of your life. This is a book that looks at areas in marriage that we think have been neglected in recent books and aren't talked about. And so it's a little more like a series of essays than it is Um you know, comprehensive theology or marriage or something okay. along those lines. So all that stuff will be shared through Twitter. And then there's a newsletter discipleship and dominion that you can go to. It's good to be a man.com and sign up for that's our Substack. stack. Um, so that's weekly, bunch of stuff. Follow me on Twitter. That's a good place to go. Hey, this is a great podcast. I'm glad to, I don't get to have this conversation very often. Usually I just have to talk about manhood stuff. And uh, I'm s- sick of it. So, <laughs> Well, I'm glad is- we could
2: relieve your pain. And uh, you are more than welcome to come back anytime you want. We'll talk some more yeah. death and glory.
4: Awesome. God bless. Oh. Thanks, Michael. Thank you.
0: To Canaan's land, I'm on my way Where the soul of man never dies darkest night will turn to day, the soul of man never dies. Dear friends, there'll be no sad farewell, there'll be no tear-dimmed nights. Where all is peace and joy and love, where the soul of man never dies. Roses growing there for me where the soul of man never dies And I will spend eternity where the soul of man never dies Dear friends, there'll be no sad farewell, there'll be no tear dim nights Where all is peace and joy and love Where the soul of man never
3: dies